Hello and welcome to another episode of the TCT podcast. You can find out more about TCT by visiting tctnetwork.org. We're a network of local churches that exist to treasure Christ together. And I'm thankful to have two brothers joining me today. If technology agrees with us, we'll have a conversation on um, an opportunity that the Lord has given these two brothers to be an encouragement to the body of Christ and a help to pastors and church leaders. So joining me today are Nate Milliken and Jonathan Woodyard. Greetings, brothers. Hey, great to, great to be here. Yeah, thankful to be here. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate you guys carving the time out. Let's just go in that order, Nate, then Jonathan, and give us just a super quick bio, like give us your name. Are you married? Do you got some kids? Where do you live and minister? Yeah, name Nate Milliken. I have one wife, Lauren Milliken. We've been married for... <laughs> Uh, over 17 years. We have four kids, Lucy Ann, Lydia, Samuel, Lorelai Joy, that we affectionately call LJ. And I serve full-time with the North American Mission Board to oversee church planting in the state of Indiana, as well as on the preaching team at a church in New Albany called Graceland Baptist Church. Amen. Thanks for joining us, brother. All right, Jonathan, name, fam, where you live and minister? Jonathan Woodyard. I live in Northfield, Minnesota with my wife, Gina. We've been married 16 years, and uh, we have two children. Calvin is 11, Caleb is 8, and I serve as the lead pastor of Northfield Community Church, church we planted uh, about three years ago, and love where we are and what we're doing. Amen. Well, thanks again, brothers, for joining us. And the reason I've asked these two guys to come along for today's episode is because they partnered together editing a book that released in June of this year entitled Before We Forget. And the subtitle is Reflections from New and Seasoned Pastors on Enduring Ministry. So first off, brothers, thank you for your labors, putting that together and for hounding however you had to hound all the people that contributed so that they would, uh, make their contributions and, and you guys put them together and let's just get the ball rolling in a discussion about this book before we forget. And Jonathan, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, what's the goal, what's a win for you guys concerning this book? Yeah, I think, a a win we've, we've kind of already experienced the win that is by God's grace. This thing is done. It took about two years to put together and just to see it, I mean, I've got a copy laying on my desk just to see it laying here with <laughs> being bound and published by B&H. Super thankful for uh, Taylor Combs and, and the team at B&H and everything they did for us. So just seeing it finished feels like a big win for us. And there was a lot of effort. You talk about pushing and prodding people to get things in when you write a book and uh, you're editing a book. It's got 16 contributors. Uh, trying to get everybody to get everything in was quite a task. Hmm. Uh, and so it just feels like it's a, a win because it's finished. But if I were looking for another win, I guess uh, this is kind of an abstract metric, but I just want the book to be useful in the lives and ministries of pastors and church planters um, that it would help other men fight for faithfulness as they seek to shepherd uh, their churches. So that's not, something you can really measure uh, in full. So it's an abstract metric, but, but I'm not looking for a, num- a certain number of sales. I don't think Nathan's worried about, you know, a specific amount of profit. A win for us is just that God uses it to serve brother pastors uh, and sharpen them uh, as they seek to faithfully lead their churches. Amen. 
Amen. Well, Nate, let me lob one at you. And before I just go into some of the details, I want to ask you about humility and transparency, but just clearly and succinctly as you're able, what do you want us not to forget? Yeah, great question, Jordan. I I don't want us to forget uh, the realities that the Bible gives in terms of the human diagnosis and the provision that God has given to us in his son, Jesus. Also, the reality that that we fall short. I, I think there's a there is a really perception and teaching, sometimes subtle um, teaching, where if you're growing in Christ, you're not you're not going to continue to struggle with sin. And we we do we we're, we're fellow strugglers, and um, you see that in the scriptures. And I think it's an embracing of as you hear quite often, right, sinner and saint. And so recognizing where we are, where we fall short, where we struggle, being mindful of that, and yet also um, teaching and speaking to our heart and the hearts of those that this Holy Spirit set us apart to shepherd, to oversee, to lead um, about the glories of the reality of Jesus. You're forgiven. There's no condemnation. um, And everything we need to grow in life and godliness is given to us in Him. So just, just... living in that tension until we, until we see him face to face. Amen. Yeah. It's, it's so embarrassing. And I think we're all painfully embarrassed by how slow we grow in grace and how slow the progress of our sanctification is. But uh, it's so easy to lose sight of true North and, and the core things of the beauties of the gospel, and the, right. the truth of our redemption. And like you were talking about, even repenting, uh, we need to, I've heard the definition of a Christian as a repenting sinner. So continuing to run back to the cross. Okay. Well, Nate, I'm just going to keep going with you. Obviously the title of the book, before we forget, there's a theology of remembering and so many passages of scripture are full of, you know, remembering the ancient paths or Ephesians two. remember, remember who you were. Um, So let me just dig in there with you, Nate. Uh, One more step, humility and transparency. That's a thread that runs throughout the book. Why do you think that humility and transparency at times seem to be the opposite or antithesis of what you see behind the scenes in a lot of Christian leaders? Yeah, Jordan, I think fundamentally, I was just thinking about this question. I think there's so many moving parts and answers and ways that I would respond. So I think fundamentally, the reason why humility and transparency are flagrantly absent in so many leaders' lives, publicly, privately, on their Twitter, as they dialogue, mm. um, inside of our conversations and staff meetings, is I think we fundamentally don't really believe and embrace the upside-down values of the kingdom. I, I think that's really fundamentally, like we don't really believe humility and transparency are are godly um, qualities. And so I would say that's part of it. And I, I think another, another way in which it's the reason why it's not seen and the antithesis of, of so many leaders and Christians is um, we have bought into the lie that power and authority and oversight and so many of the world's values are, the, are really that's the, that's the way the church needs to operate. So, um, you know, I've heard transparency defined as, you know, conveying, confessing, sharing things that 
man, when you say it out loud, that, that just does not sound good. And so I think there's this, there's this uh, um, belief that creeps into a Christian's life. I think the longer in ministry, you become familiar with the things of God. You can pontificate about the truths of God. You've preached that passage. You've read the books. You know the arguments. Mm-hmm. And you forget that it's written for you and your good and your sanctification. And we don't really embrace Proverbs 18.1. He who isolates himself breaks out from all sound judgment, that you need good, godly men and women in your life that can lovingly encourage, confront, admonish, exhort you. Um, that mm. call you out. We don't embrace Proverbs 12.1, right? He who is not receptive to correction, he's not teachable, um, is is stupid, the Bible says in the ESV. And so we, mm. we, I think, humility and transparency, we, so for so many people, we're drawn to leaders who are not curious and teachable, who are disinterested in their reputation, who are not interested in empire building, who are not interested in a quickness to confess, um, who are not people who want to take joy in complimenting and crediting others. We want to build our own kingdom. Mm. And it's just, man, pride creeps in and it's just, it's such a gangrene. So I, there's so many ways I can answer that question. I would just say fundamentally we've not embraced an upside down understanding of this, of this kingdom of Christ. We've removed ourselves from accountability we believe all the affirmation that people have for us, and we start to think that we're beyond being accountable, confession, the weakness hmm. of our, our own lives. So th- those are some of the ways I'd answer that question. Yeah, I think, uh, Jordan, if I could jump in just quickly, I, I think part of it, uh, the reason you don't see this in, in, in a lot of Christian leaders is the fear of failure. Uh, if you're transparent, you, you're the kind of person who kind of tells on yourself, right? That's one of the things that we do in the book is we're confessing our sins, confessing our failures. We're really outing ourselves, right? We're showing how far mm. how far short we fall. And if you're someone who's worried about uh, your own credibility and your own stature, if you're transparent, you give people a peek behind the curtain and they see how weak you really are, then maybe your platform doesn't get built the way that you want it to be built. So I think that Mm. sometimes is part of the problem. If I'm transparent and open and honest about my own struggles, then I'm not going to build my brand. I'm not going to have the platform. And so there's a fear of failure and it it gives way to pride, which all of us struggle with. We we want to be great in the eyes of men. So Thomas Watson, the, the English Puritan would say that pride runs in our blood. So you can't escape it. And so here you're, you're, you're worried about your own name. You're worrying about building your own, your own brand or your own platform and being transparent doesn't seem like a pathway to such kind of exaltation. Yeah. Well said brothers. I mean, it just reminds me of the example par excellence, the savior. It's, it's impossible to be proud in the presence of the crucified King of glory, heaven's Mm. favorite coming down and, and humbling himself for our redemption and, and, you know, we can preach, uh, God help us. We can preach sermons on humility mm. with biblical fidelity and, and be proud of how we, how well we did preaching such a sermon. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> yeah. God help us. Yeah. Um, well, I, knowing that a lot of people who may pick up this book are well-versed in the themes of at least 
uh, cognizant of our need for humility, cognizant of the beauties of living a transparent life, like you guys are just talking about. But it, it, it's one thing to, to have the theology kind of lined up, your eyes dotted, your T's crossed, some Bible verses to go with it. But so many have said to me that the Christian life is both taught and caught. You know, mm-hmm. God wrote a book, so it's clearly taught, but there's a lived experience. And when you see the, the grace of God in another brother and you get to see the transforming effect of the gospel in his or her life, how that impacts us in a really powerful way. So Moeller talks about doing ministry with a band of brothers. Uh, does this project exude kind of that caught aspect, the brotherhood spirit? If so, how so? Yeah, I think so, Jordan. You know, the the project was a, there are a lot of moving parts, and obviously, just in, you know, in the in the table of contents, you've you've got several young men who serve all over the country, and then several older men. I had one of the guys say, "Hey, I think that you you just called me season, which I think is a euphemism for older." And I said, "That's exactly right. I called you old." But you know, we recognize the youthfulness in terms of sometimes believing our own press clippings and affirmation Mm -hmm. and things that people have said and all these guys by the world standards are seen as really successful uh medium to large-sized churches uh, advanced degrees lots of influence and connections with people all across the country articulate thoughtful guys asked to be on panels speak at conferences and so when i think about that phrase that dr moeller gives a band of brothers you know, ministry is, it's really tremendously emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausting. I think rightfully so, as we need to be and should be dependent upon the Spirit of Christ, who, right, who supplies us with a spirit of strength and steadfastness. And it's also gloriously exhilarating and fun. And, mm. you know, I, I love being able to do ministry. And this book really was a a project of ministry with guys that I love and care for, I have deep affection for. I mean, I think about Noe Garcia on Phoenix. I think about John Aiken. I think about Cody McNutt. I think about Jonathan Woodyard. I think about Ben Dockery. I think about Kimpton. Um, I think about all these guys that God and his kindness has, has allowed Jonathan and I to intersect our lives with. Mm-hmm. And we've written about areas in our life that we've struggled or just dropped the ball or been an absolute failure. And so, one, just going back to a question you asked me several moments ago about humility and transparency, I'm so much more drawn to leaders who are marked by humility um, than I am those that are prideful and arrogant and don't communicate publicly and privately that they do not have Mm -hmm. everything together, right? There is that tension, right? Follow me as I follow Jesus. So we're following the chief shepherd as under shepherds. But this has definitely been a project that it kind of exudes that that band of brothers where we've gotten a glimpse into each other's lives, where we've fallen short, where we've made a mess of, of relationships and, and, and churches at times and different degrees and the struggles we have to, um, with sexual purity, with taking the past for granted, the struggles with pride, the struggle with character, the struggles with, caring for someone we love and care for that has a chronically physically debilitating disease. And so even though I don't regularly interact with these guys every day, I feel like I know them and they're part of the landscape of my life. So it's a real gift to Jonathan and me to have our names next to to these guys 
young guys and older guys. I mean, Herschel York mm-hmm. and Brian Croft and, and mm-hmm. Kevin Nazell and Jimmy Scroggins, guys that have been an influence in our lives. And so, yes, we think the book's going to be really, we hope, a, a great tool for pastors, young and old, leaders. But to be able to be in a category with these guys, uh, r- writing down our failures and having other people speak into it. Man, there's just a brotherhood mm-hmm. that's pretty Amen. And God's been really kind. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I, I, I love that. So, I mean, one of the goals, if I'm going to take a risk to, to speak for you guys, I'm hearing you say it's not so that everybody who reads your book would hope to become friends with all the guys in the table of contents, but that they, too, would have brothers in their lives whom, whom God uses to help model what it looks like to live yeah. faithfully for Christ, but also speak into your life in those areas where you're transparent before them and need need help, need brothers. Yep. So, yep. Right. yeah, well, just to l- remind everybody, some who may have just kind of skipped around on this podcast episode or stumbled upon this point and don't know what we're talking about, I'm joined with Nate Milliken and Jonathan Woodyard, who together edited a book entitled Before We Forget, Reflections from New and Seasoned Pastors on Enduring Ministry. It released in June of this year. You can find it anywhere books are sold, Amazon and elsewhere. And uh, as I just skimmed through the table of contents, there are several brothers whose names catch my eye because by God's grace, I've had an opportunity to fellowship with with a number of them. But uh, one especially, Cody McNutt, is a lifelong friend of mine, uh, his family and my wife's family go, go way back even before Cody and my wife were born. And I grew up with Cody. I actually officiated he and Sally's wedding. And so just to see that you guys are tangled up with Cody encourages my heart and that you leaned on him to provide that chapter on patience in the pastorate. I think Cody in, in many ways models uh, what that is and strives, uh, strives to model what that's supposed to look like as a servant of Christ. So I appreciate you guys tapping on all these brothers to make the contributions they made. And Jonathan, I just want to turn a question to you. Why is remembering in the right way such a powerful, tremendous tool in the lives of Christian leaders? And how, let me just double up, how does right remembering exemplify the gospel or the aroma of Christ? Yeah, uh, we remember, and the way I'd I'd start is because our faith is a historical faith. Uh, We believe in a Jesus who really did live uh, and die 2,000 years ago and uh, rise again, and today sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. And we remember because our whole lives are based on something that happened in the past. So you get Paul's admonition to Timothy, right, in 2 Timothy 2, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So our faith is built on historical realities. Uh, It takes Mm. us back in history to who God is, right, and what God has done. And for a leader to remember who God is, uh, to remember God's past faithfulness, to remember the exercise of God's power in the past. You read the Bible, read the Old Testament, the first three quarters of your Bible, and you just get this record of God's faithfulness. You get the promises of God. You read the New Testament, and you see that he keeps those promises, that he has He has done what he said he would do. And so leaders need to constantly remember who God is and what God has done for them, most notably in Jesus Christ. Uh, And so we have to remember uh, what God has done for us in Jesus. And then out of that, 
we, we do our work. So we remember what Jesus has done more than we focus on what we do. So before we turn to, to think about our day or to think about all the things that we need to do, we, we minister, we do all of those things out of an overflow of what Christ has done for us in the past. Uh, so that, so that's what we talk about when we remember we, or when we're talking about uh, remembering things. We want you to take a look backwards and see God's faithfulness, see God's power, see Jesus, see all that he did for you. And out of all those glorious realities, uh, fight for future faithfulness. Uh, but there's a, a way of remembering uh, that that actually undermines the gospel. So if you hear us uh, calling you to to remember, uh, you you don't hear us calling you to sit and dwell uh, on your past mistakes and past failures. This is a danger for leaders, right? We, we're working hard for the good of God's people, and we remember all the times we mess it up. <laughs> we remember our failures. We remember our shortcomings. We remember the time we blew uh, that that business meeting where we were facilitating discussion and we blew it because we responded in ways that were not gentle or we responded uh, in ways that were unloving or we said something in a sermon that now we look back and say, man, that was wrong. I can't believe I did that. So there's a way to remember where you just kind of fall into depression or despair because you're just dwelling on your past mistakes. That's not what we're saying. You should remember your past mistakes. You should remember your failures, but you don't fall into despair. You fall into the arms of Jesus. So you remember again, remember Jesus Christ. Uh, and as we remember Jesus, we don't fall into despair, but we are encouraged because of all that Christ has done for us. And so if you're a leader, if you're a pastor, you need to keep looking back at the faithfulness of God and keep looking back at what Jesus has done for you. And then out of the overflow of what Christ has done, you strive forward uh, in faithfulness. Amen. Well, I, I appreciate the fact you guys have put this resource together to, to uh, provoke people precisely to that end. As you were talking, I couldn't help, but uh, long all over again in the middle of this pandemic, our church has, has opted not to celebrate the Lord's Supper mm. yet again, but that's something that in our congregation here in Memphis that we do weekly. So the last time we've shared the supper together was uh, first Sunday of March, I believe. And so I long for that, but that that's the beauty of that gospel symbol, yeah. right? Remember what Christ has done for us, the elements, and we proclaim his death until he comes, that forward-looking power of what Christ has yeah. done. So living out uh, the beauties of our redemption by the all-sufficient grace of Christ. And, and that even reminded me too of Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11 and 12. Remember that you were this, were that. Verse 12, remember that you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the purpose of looking back is, is not to be you know, decimated mm. and, and destroyed, but to lean again, as, as you said so well, yeah. into the fullness of Christ. Well, isn't it? All right, well, let's try to go ahead, brother. Yeah, isn't it wonderful that even in our remembering the, the, the push of the Bibles, as you remember Jesus, your eyes are automatically cast forward. So that's the yeah. that's the thing. You look backwards to Jesus and you look back to all that he's accomplished. And as you look back and see, you also see these past promises that have that we're waiting for future fulfillment. So we look forward to the return of Jesus. He splits open the sky. He descends and he takes us 
for this curse-free kingdom. So even in our remembering, we're being pointed towards the future because there is so much ahead for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well said. All right. Well, brothers, let's try to land the plane. Uh, last question. I'll throw it toward you, Nate. Tell us about something you're celebrate, celebrating regarding this book or maybe even a highlight or two in the process of putting the whole thing together. Are there some ways that, that stand out to you about how the Lord met or ministered to you? Yeah, I, I just think real, real briefly, Jordan, a win and a highlight is that I've had several friends from other areas where I've served or um, friends that I have that serve in other parts of the country. And, and they just, they've read parts of the book and even, even my wife has read the book. My sister has read the book and people have just expressed, Hey, we really appreciate the honest discussion about struggles and then um, where you went with it. It's, I think it's a pretty accessible, readable book in terms of the template we talk about. Here's a, here's a story in our life. Here's how the Bible speaks into it at, here's how the story ended. So, you know, it's almost kind of a narrative, a running dialogue of, of, of several narratives. So I really mm-hmm. appreciated people saying, Hey, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your transparency. And, um, I just don't, I don't think that we do that very well in the Christian culture. We want to hide weakness. We want to hide struggles. We want to hide failures. And, um, that's just not, that's just not what we see in the Bible. So hopefully in some part, God has allowed us to have a little bit of favor with people. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Amen. Well, brothers, thank you again for your labors. And I do join you in the prayer that the Lord will use this resource to, uh, build up the bride of Christ to encourage his servants who are leading churches and then other ministries. So thank you again for your labors. And once again, friends who are listening before we forget reflections from new and seasoned pastors on enduring ministry, by Dr. Nate Milliken and soon to be <laughs> Dr. Jonathan Woodyard. Thank you brothers for the talk. Thank you for your labors. May the Lord bless you both. Thanks, Take care.